Good morning, brothers and sisters. A warm welcome to you all, and also to those who are joining us via the live stream. It's a blessing that we can gather here in, in worship of our triune God this morning. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us, either here in church or via the live stream. May we all be encouraged by the preaching about our identity in Christ and may God be glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. The consistory with deacons will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 7.30pm in the consistory room. This morning and also this afternoon we will welcome our own minister, Reverend Poppy, to the pulpit. Before we commence, let us sing together Psalm 8, verse 1. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the blessing of God. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 103, the verses 1 and 2. Amen. 
after God rescued his people when they were slaves in a foreign land in Egypt, then he gave them his law to teach them how to live in a relationship with him. Let's listen to that law. We're going to read it together from Deuteronomy chapter 5. There God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And it was when our Lord Jesus Christ was on this earth, and then he was asked about this, one of the teachers of the law came to him and asked him which is the greatest commandment. At the time, they, they had quite a discussion among the, the different scribes and the different rabbis about which, which was the greatest commandment. And they, they wanted to know what the Lord Jesus thought of this. And he, he summarized God's law. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so God, God teaches us in the words of Paul that love is the fulfillment of God's law. Well, let's sing of the, the, um, the next song in our liturgy here from Psalm 51. We're going to sing the verses 1, 3, and 4. It's a song written by David after he committed a serious sin, after he committed adultery. And then he prays to God for forgiveness for that.
Let's now pray to God. Let's ask God for his blessing over the worship service that we have together here. In our prayer this morning, we're also going to remember a few members of our congregation. Remember in the first place, the family of our late sister, G. Vendun. Um, the funeral's tomorrow, so we'll ask God to, to comfort the family. Also remember the, the family of our sister, Helena Bullhaus. Um, she's going to, their, their family is also going to bury her father on Tuesday. We'll also pray to God that he would be with our sister, Jenny Vendongen, continue to grant healing to her. She's had a number of setbacks, so we'll ask God that, that he continue to, to be near to her and, and grant a, a good end for that. Remember our brother Yitz to Hope. Our brother continues to struggle with various health concerns. We'll also pray with gratitude to the Lord that our sister Tamara Buchholz could be engaged to be married to Daniel Vanderwall. And so we'll thank God for that and ask God a blessing over their engagement. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, and we humble ourselves. We just sang together from Psalm 51 here. King David comes into your presence, and he's deeply conscious of his sin. The situation for him is, is that Nathan the prophet just confronted him. And for the first time, he was honest about the, the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. And it really cut him to the heart, Lord. We, we sing this song. We see how deeply grieved he is by his sins, how much he hates them, and how he wishes to flee from that. And he seeks your face and your forgiveness. And then, Lord, we recognize ourselves in that. It happens to us from time to time that, that we also are confronted with sin. Maybe it's, it's sexual sin. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's covetousness. Maybe it's, it's anger. Maybe it's, it's other things. Sometimes we're deceptive. We're not honest. Or sometimes we, we sin greatly against you. We don't know you, and we don't serve you, and we don't honor you. And we, we blaspheme you. We say, say things about you that are, that are really not true, that diminish your honor and your glory. And we humble ourselves before you because of these things, Lord. It's not the way you intend us to live. It doesn't lead to a beautiful life. But instead, Lord, we, we recognize that, that this leads to a difficult life. You are the great God. You're the one who, who made this world. You're the one who controls this world. You're the one who calls us to live according to his laws so that we may have life in us, that we can have energy and joy and peace and blessing. And Father, thank you for teaching us what that looks like. And we're sorry for the times we've fallen short. And we ask for your grace. And we pray then, Lord, that you'd also look upon us with your mercy, that you renew us, and that you make us into new people, so that we can live the way that you intend, that we can rest under your blessing. Father, what a, what a great thing it is to know you and to have you as our God. This morning we're also together here because we want to, to learn more about you and to learn about what you have done for us. I want to pray for a blessing over the preaching of the gospel. Help us to, to open your Bible, to consider what you have to say, and please work in our hearts with your Holy Spirit that you would touch us, that we understand the, the great things that you've done for us in Christ and that we live out of that. Dear Father, we also wish to pray that you take care of the members of our congregation who need you in special ways. Think, Lord, of, of those who struggle with sin. Sometimes we have a lot of hardship in our lives. There's a lot of scars that we have, spiritual scars. We have to deal with that and we ask for your help in that. Also pray that you please help those who struggle physically. There's quite a few members of our church who, who have different ailments and 
We just sang together from Psalm 103 that you are the healer of your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would do this. I think especially of our brother Yitzhak. We want to ask, Lord, that you sustain our brother in his old age. He's a very old man. and His body is breaking down in different ways. He often has to contend with, with the breakdown of the body. We pray that you would carry him through that and help him with that. We also pray that you would be near to our sister Jenny van Dongen. Sister is still recuperating after her heart transplant. She has these setbacks. Most recently, she has this, this lung infection. We ask that you bless the medication that she receives. We pray that you would grant restored health to her again. Thank you, Lord, that you've sustained her all this time, and we pray that that may continue. And most of all, Lord, we, we pray for your people that you give them peace of heart, that they may be of good hope and of courage, that they may understand that, that you love them and that you will carry them and that at the end that you will shine your face upon them. Father, for our sister Vendongan, we pray that, that her body doesn't reject her heart, but that it, that, that may go well. We ask that she's able to get over these infections and that she can continue the healing. Please grant that the time may come, that she's able to function normally, that she can have a, a beautiful life together with her husband and, and years together. Lord, we also wish to, to ask that you would please be with the, the families who have to bury loved ones this week. I want to pray that you would surround them with your care. Thank you so much for the promise that you tell us that death is not the end but that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he's promised us that one day he will also bring new life to all those who have believed in him. We get to share with you in a new world where there will be no more brokenness. Father, we're, we're so amazed at the hope of the gospel. And we pray also for these families that as we bury loved ones, that we're able to remember the promises, and that we may be comforted. Please grant a rich measure of your Holy Spirit and of your peace to them. And then we also wish to thank you, Lord, for the gift of, of engagement. Tamara Buchold could be engaged to, to Brother Daniel Vanderwall. So grateful for them that they could come to this point. We wish to ask you for your blessing over their relationship. Grant that during this time of engagement that they may grow closer together, that they grow an understanding of, of what married life is intended to be, that they're able to love each other from the heart. And please grant that it may go well for them. Be with all those who are preparing for marriage, Lord. And please grant that in due time, that they're able to, to make a commitment in good conscience, and then in faith before you, that they can help each other as husbands and wives in the service of your name. Lord, we ask that you would please hear our prayer now, and that you would answer us. And we pray these things not because we're so good or because we deserve anything, but we pray it because we believe in Jesus, and our Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning I get to preach to you from the first verses of Ephesians 5. In those verses, the Lord calls us to live a life of love, and he calls us to flee from different types of sin. And in connection with that, I thought it's appropriate that we first read together the last verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. We're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the verses 9 through 20. You can find that in your guest Bible on page 1134. So 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 9. 
There God's word says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's as far as we're going to read from the Bible at this point. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 141, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 7.
This morning I get to keep preaching out of the book of Ephesians. We've come up to chapter 5. So the text I've chosen for this morning is Ephesians 5, the verses 1 through 6. You can find that on page 1162 of your your guest Bible. Ephesians 5, the verses 1 through 6. God's word says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So far, then, after the preaching of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 31, the verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, in the first verse of Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul tells us that by nature, we are those who are dead in our sins. What he means by that is that it is natural for us, our natural inclination is to pursue and do those things that lead to to spiritual death. We're identical to, to the people around us. We live in a culture that's in the same place. And so what God's saying is he's saying that if I left you to yourself, then your natural inclination would be to pursue money and sex and comfort and pleasure and entertainment and recreation. If I left you to yourself, your natural thing would be to pursue whatever your heart desires and to give yourself over to that. But then God tells us the good news. He says, I didn't leave you there. I made you alive in Christ. I made you into a new person. Christ came. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose to life, and he gives that life to each one of you. And so anyone who believes in Jesus Christ gets to share in his new life. And so you're not condemned to live the same old life that you used to live. God says, I'm able to make you into a new person so that you can live a new life. And here in Ephesians 5, the Lord continues with showing us what that actually looks like. He spells it out in real detail. It's quite a kindness of our Father that he, he shows us so that we understand with real clarity what a life lived by God and for God looks like. And so I've summarized this passage this morning with this theme, our Lord Jesus calls us to live out our new identity in Christ. We are to imitate God's love 
and we are to flee from sin. So first this calling to imitate his love, that's actually the words of verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imitate God by walking in his steps. Now if you, if you think of an image of that, think of someone walking down the beach and then the next person comes behind and just follows along in their footsteps. And that's the image that God used, uses for his relationship with us. He says, I want you to imitate me. I want you to walk like I do. Well, it raises the question, in what way do we walk? What are the tracks that he's made for us? Well, the foundational thing he says here is that he wants us to love. In verse 1, he reminds us that we are his beloved children. He says there, be imitators of God as beloved children. And that's his foundational relationship with us. He says, I love you. And I love you as a child. And if you think about the intimacy that's involved with, with being loved as a child, you know, when you come to God, he doesn't treat you with suspicion. He doesn't hold you at a distance. You know, sometimes you read stories about that. People come to a new place there's nobody else around, and they come to this new place, and, and the natives who were there, their first reaction is one of suspicion. Well, the Lord's not like that. He doesn't treat you with suspicion. He doesn't treat you like a hotel guest, that you come in and, you know, you walk into the front door, and then they shoo you off to your room, and they have nothing more to do with you. No, he says, I, I treat you like family. I love you like a child. I take you into my family and you get to enjoy the safety and the comfort and the love that happens in family life. And what God really says here is he says, I want you to imitate that. I want you to imitate the love of Christ. And then it tells us in verse 2 that Christ loved us by giving himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, these words, this fragrant offering, the sacrifice, those are, in the Old Testament, those words often refer to the sacrificial system. The Israelites had to make these sacrifices to atone for sins. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ says, he says, that's, that's the extent to which I've loved you. I've become a sacrifice for you. And if you, if you think about that, you know, one person giving their life for another person doesn't often happen. It might happen in war. Maybe in an accident, there's an accident and someone goes to rescue a person to get them out of a burning car. Maybe somebody's drowning, somebody dives in to pull them out. And sometimes you hear the story about how they rescue the person, but they themselves die. Well, the scripture tells us, it says, Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's how Jesus Christ has loved us. I lay down my life for you. I do whatever it takes to save you. And now he says, I want you to do that for each other. I want you to imitate me and love each other as I have loved you. It's quite something. Now the, to put it into context, Christ says here, the very last part of that, that section there, he is this 
He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. Now that's the sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, especially the burnt offering. It often says that the, it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The burnt offering is something that you, you bring, you burn the, the whole sacrifice to a crisp. What God's saying to you is he's saying, you deserve to go to hell for your sins. That's what you deserve, to be separated from me forever. But I love you. I'm not going to let that happen. And I'm going to give myself for you to make sure that it's different for you. And he says, as I have loved you, I wish you to do that for each other. The key word at the beginning of verse 1 is the word therefore. How do we love each other? Well, the word therefore connects it back. Therefore imitate. And the word therefore connects it back to 432. In Ephesians 4 verse 32 it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you want to walk in God's footsteps, if you want to follow his tracks, then the way you do that is by being kind to one another, by being tender-hearted, by forgiving each other, just as God has forgiven you. Well, how much hasn't God forgiven you, brothers and sisters? Honestly? If you're honest about your life, now, there's a mountain of sin. There are these besetting sins. There are the sins of youth. There are serious sins. And the Lord said, I take it all away from you. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. I set you free from that as an act of kindness, as an act of compassion, as an act of forgiveness. The apostle, he prayed earlier in the letter, he said, he said the greatest thing is that we would understand the extent of that love. Sometimes we, we hold back from God because we don't really get it. We don't really know him. We don't really trust him. Well, Paul prays for them on two occasions. The greatest one is in chapter 3. And he prays there that we would know how wide and deep and how high and long is the love of Christ for us. That we would know that love. He says, I, I ask God that you understand that his overall attitude towards you is one of grace and one of love. And he doesn't hold back from you. He doesn't hold anything against you. But that you are in Christ. He says in the next verse that he's willing to do more than you can ask or imagine. He loves you so much that he's able to do more for you than you ask or imagine. And now he says, as I have loved you, I want you to love those around you. Don't hold back from each other. Don't close your hearts to each other. Don't be suspicious of each other. But be kind and be compassionate. Get to know one another and assist each other and give of yourself for the other. It's really when you focus on the grace of God that he has shown you that your heart will be filled with love for the people around you. As you'll reflect that in your dealings with others. And then if you understand the love that God has for you, it's also going to come out in another way. It's in the following verses that God says that you will flee from sin. If you know of God's love, brothers and sisters, you don't want to offend him. 
You don't want to do things that, that make him upset or angry. You want to show him your love. You want to do what he, what he asks of you. And what he says is he says, what I, what I wish of you is that you put to death those, those sinful desires. It's in verse 3. Paul lists a bunch of ways that Christ renews the lives of his people. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. It must not be named. Not sexual immorality, not impurity, not covetousness. You could translate it, not even a hint. Not even a hint of these things. It's quite something. The word for, for sexual immorality it refers to every manner of sexual sin. It's a really general term. The word for impurity in the Old Testament, it often refers to, to impurity around ritual sacrifices and, and coming into the temple. But in the New Testament, the word impurity, it's often associated with sexual sin. And so these two terms, they're often used in close conjunction with each other, and they often refer to, to those people who give some manner of sexual sin in their lives. Well, the Lord says, this is not for you. And if, if you put this back into the Old Testament context, or sorry, the New Testament context here, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. And the Ephesians, they, they had a lot of this in their lives. This was quite normal. Some men slept with their slave girls. You know, prostitution in ancient Rome, it was, it was an acceptable thing. Homosexuality, it wasn't just accepted, but it was considered to be a higher form of love. You know, it, was, it was normal for people to, to go to temple prostitutes. Part of the worship of their gods, you go to the temple and you engage in these illicit sexual relations with the prostitutes who live there. And then just to get a sense of it, you know, sometimes they had these feasts. They worshipped some of their gods. And some of these feasts, they had a feast that was, it was a party. It was serving the god of wine. And you would drink and you would get drunk and the, the whole sense of this feast is that those who are initiate, those who are the best worshipers of the gods, get rid of every moral restraint. So the more immoral and the more godless and the more terrible you are in every sort of sin, not just sexual sin, but in murder and fraud and in you name it, the better you are at worshiping this god. And they'd have parties like this, where in the dark of night, People committed horrific. It was just a completely terrible thing. The government tried to stamp it out because of all the, the horror that came out of these situations. Well, that's what Paul's speaking into. That's the culture that these people lived in. And then he says, not even a hint. Not a whiff. Not a breath. Because you are my holy people. It is improper for God's holy people. The Lord tells us earlier in his word, brothers and sisters, if you commit sexual sin, then you obliterate his intention for sexuality. He gives sexuality as a really special gift. In the Bible, the language of sexuality is the language of unity. The Lord brings people together Genesis 2, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You become one flesh in marriage. 
You have this great unity. There's the woman in the Song of Solomon. She talks about how exclusive a bond she has together with her husband. My beloved is mine and I am his. Solomon, Song of Solomon 2.16. And in chapter 7 verse 10 she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. In both those contexts, the context is about sexual relating. The Lord intends there to be an intimate bond and unity between husband and wife in marriage. That's also why in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul says, he says, you never get together with a prostitute. If you get together with a prostitute, he says, don't you know that you become one body with her? And he says, that's not who you are. He says, you're one with the Lord. The Holy Spirit is living in you. You're a temple of God. You can't become one body with a prostitute. That's not right. That's not the way God intended sexuality to to be. And real life, brothers and sisters, you know how it is. Destroys trust. Leads to great anger, to great jealousy. Proverbs 6.23, this wife has committed adultery. And it says, for jealousy makes a husband furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. There's profound anger. There's so much brokenness. And you start, you get into that lifestyle, it becomes a lifestyle for you. There's so much lying, so much hiding. You become addicted. You want to stop. You don't want to be that person. You want it to be different for you. So much shame. So much insecurity. So much destruction. We just read saying together Psalm 51. And one of the things David pleads for there is for grace and forgiveness. And one of the issues is that he asks God that God wouldn't abandon him. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please hold on to me, Lord. And that's what happens, especially with sexual sin. You know, brothers and sisters, for us it's not easy. You know, back then, the Ephesians, they had this difficult situation. And sometimes I think for us it might even be harder for us. Everyone's got a phone in their pocket. We live in a culture that's, that's inundated with sexual innuendo with soft porn, you go to the mall, you go to the beach, you turn on the television, you read the news, you have all these images. You know the numbers in terms of pornography? One in every three men, one in every four women regularly uses. So regularly is once a month, at least once a month. Some studies say one in two men. Are there a hundred men here who use pornography once a month? The damage, it's not just to yourself, it's not just to relationship. At core, it's damage to your relationship with God. That's the core. We read together from 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, Every other sin is outside of your body. But he says, if you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so you grieve the Holy Spirit in a profound way when you commit sexual sin. 
He also spells it out in verse 5 and 6 of our text. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If this is you, brothers and sisters, if you live in sin, if you don't repent, then God says, you don't share. Then you're going to hell. The wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So that means you need to repent. And what does repentance look like in this situation? Well, it means you humble yourself before God. You're honest with him. And if you sin against another person, you humble yourself before that person, and you're honest with them. No more hiding. No more lying. No more minimizing. No more excusing. No more secrets. Would you accept the seriousness of your sin? You're honest about it. And you deal with the consequences. Maybe that means that somebody has to hold you accountable. Maybe it means accountability software. Maybe it means that somebody has to put a pin on your phone so that there's certain sites you can't access. Or somebody has to limit the time that you have on things. It also means that you bear the consequences of your sin if you sin against someone sexually. Then you break trust. And the person who you've sinned against, they have to work through that. They have to come to grips with that. At the core of their person, they've been violated. And if you're truly repentant, then it means that you take the time, you have the patience to give the other person space to deal with the, the sin that you've committed and to work through the damage that you've caused. Well, you know, it's possible that you hear these things, brothers and sisters, and you think to yourself, well, there's nothing that I want more than to get out from under my sin. You know, I've prayed and prayed and prayed. And I've tried and tried and tried. And I've told others about my sin. And yet it's still there. And it doesn't seem to change. Well, when you're in that space, then one of the most profound things that happens to you is that you're humbled. And you get to the point where you realize that you can't do it. That you don't have it in you to beat this thing. And that your only hope is the Lord. That the Lord has to do it for you. And he will. That's who he is. He says, I am your God. And I do love you. And I will rescue you. I will set you free. I have the power. That's the whole point of the book of Ephesians. Christ has the power. Christ defeated the devil. Christ is on the throne. And the whole point is that you are in Christ. You are his people. You belong to him. He saved you. And he will bring you to glory. And so the only hope that you have is to know who you are in Christ. To know the extent, how wide and deep and high and long is his love for you. And is to depend upon that love. And to rely upon him to make it different for you. And if you do that, brothers and sisters, then you will experience God's grace. 
We read about that in 1 Corinthians 6. It's in verse 9 to 11. God tells you what he does. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. That's who you used to be. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Christ covered your sin. There is no more guilt. Christ washed you with his blood. He wiped away all the sin and all the guilt and all the shame. He took all your shame upon himself. The Holy Spirit sanctified you. He lives in your heart and he makes you into a new person. And so sin doesn't have the final say. It doesn't have dominion over you. It doesn't have control over you. As you believe in Christ, as you recognize who you are in Christ, then God sets you free from the power of sin. And he makes you into this new person. Well, this is the great gift of God, brothers and sisters. It's the greatest thing in the world. In the next verses, we didn't read it. We're going to talk about it a little bit more next time. It's in verse 8 and following there. It says, Walk as children of the light... For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And it, it says, just before that, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were in darkness, but you are light. You used to commit sexual sin, but now you walk in the light by the power of God. And through the working of his Holy Spirit. Is there hope for you brothers and sisters? There's great hope. In knowing your Savior. And in being found in him. It's the great news of the gospel brothers and sisters. It's the best news in the world. It applies. Not just to sexual sin. The Apostle Paul he talks about two other things in this passage as well. He applies it. In the next place, to, to covetousness. He says, if you're covetous, he says, that's idolatry. It's another way in which, you know, in our culture today, we're profoundly attacked. The heartbeat of our culture is materialism. Everybody wants more. Everybody's pursuing things, the acquisition of things. And that has such a profound impact on us as the people of God. When we live in that culture, when we breathe the air of our time, the, it's, it's very difficult to walk away from that, to have a spirit of contentment, and to be at peace in that. But that's, that's the other calling that the Lord gives us. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The Lord's standard is that there should not be a hint of covetousness. Well, again, let me ask you, how big is it? in your life, brothers and sisters? How much time do you spend pursuing things, accumulating things, working, your stock portfolio, your super, your investment properties? How much time do you spend on Instagram, on Pinterest? You look at all the beautiful things, the beautiful homes, the beautiful things that other people have, and you try to work towards that, and you want that for yourself? How much time do you spend on Marketplace, looking at the latest boats, the latest cars, all the latest stuff that you might want for yourself. 
in Mark 9, Mark 4:19 that God says that some people hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for things enters and chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. Is the word fruitful in your life? You know, on one level you can justify it, but you don't want to go there. If you give it a space in your life, brothers and sisters, then you're 75 years old, you're looking back on life, you're about to go home to the Lord, you've repented of your sin, but in the meantime, you look at your kids, they're adult children, and their life is caught up in materialism. Their whole life is focused on, on money. And you have this deep sadness in your heart. Because you ask yourself, well, who did they learn it from? It's not for us as God's people, brothers and sisters. If you need help with that, the Lord will help you. You ask him for help. Sometimes you don't even ask. One day he takes it all away. If you set your heart on money, it's a false god. It's empty. It leads to nothing. One of the ways the Lord sometimes helps his people is he takes it all away from you so that you may not share in the judgment. And then you realize how empty it was, and you set your heart on the Lord instead of these things. Because in the end, he says, he will judge. Revelation 18, you have the great prostitute Babylon, and she comes to ruin in one hour. And all the nations, all the kings of the world, all the generals, all the rich people, the traders and everybody, they're standing around and they're grieving that all their money disappeared in that one hour. Well, it's the judgment of God that comes on the ungodly. And the Lord does not wish to send his judgment on you. He wants to save you from that. And so he says, you put it away from you, not even a hint. In the next verse is one more thing. Nor should there be filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking which are out of place, but instead, of thank- but instead let there be thanksgiving. No obscenities. One of the hallmarks of the Christian life is that our speech is pure. If you talk to a Christian, in the first three sentences, you should be able to tell that this is a different person, that there's a different spirit within him. And how do you tell that? By his speech. There's no obscenities. There's no, he uses the term here, it says, crude joking. The word for crude joking, it's, it's a double entendre. It's, it's jokes that have sexual in, innuendo. Or it's this, this talk, it's literally, it's the turn of the phrase. It's being witty, but being witty with a sexual connotation. Well, that's not to be among the people of God. That's not who we are. But here you have a, a picture of a totally different life than the people around us, brothers and sisters. God's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking to a people who are, who are steeped and mired in a culture that's radically different from his people. And so he very clearly spells it out for them. He says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you set your hope in him, then these are the ways that your life is different. Then you love the Lord. And you love the people around you. Then you flee from sexual sin. Then you don't set your heart on stuff. Then you don't let your language be like the people around you. A very practical, everyday life, in a practical, everyday lifestyle, your life is very different from the people around you. It's really very kind 
that the Lord does it for us. It's very kind that he offers to help us with it. If you want to, to see the ultimate example, it's also our Lord Jesus. You know, at core with all these things is a selfishness, is a self-interest. And for our Lord Jesus, it wasn't about selfishness. It wasn't self-interest. It was seeking the Lord and walking before him. And so for our Lord Jesus, it's inconceivable that there's any kind of sexual sin in him. He's not someone who ever set his heart on the things of this world. He had this deep content within his life. Even though he had nothing, he trusted his father. And that's the core. He trusted God. God's going to look after me. He's going to provide for me. In this intimate life of prayer with his father where we depended upon him. Well, that's the core for us, brothers and sisters, that we know God, that we trust him, that we love him. And if you're in that space, if you rely upon Jesus Christ to live in you with his, with his Holy Spirit to make you into that kind of new person, then you can have the blessed life. Then sexuality becomes this precious gift from God that he gives you as a husband and wife in marriage. And in that context, it becomes a truly beautiful gift. It's this uniquely bonding thing that makes your marriage a very special relationship that's, that's unparalleled with any other relationship that you have. It's when you trust God that you have this deep, deep contentment within your heart. You don't have to worry about financial things because the Lord is your God and because the Lord is going to look after you and he's going to provide for you. That you don't give any kind of sin a place in your life. You don't seek selfishly for things because the Lord is your God. And you know that he loves you and that he's going to provide for you. It's when you live that kind of a lifestyle, when you live in humble dependence, that you experience the blessing of God. Let's pray for it, brothers and sisters. Let's ask God to remake us into the image of Christ. Let's pray that we know how much he loves us. And let's live out of that love. Amen. We're going to sing together of the, the power of Jesus Christ to help his people, hymn 31, the verses 1 and 2.
Brothers and sisters, before we pray, the consistory.
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity, or at this time, no, not at this time, at the door on the way out, we're going to have a collection. So the collection this morning is going to be for the, the work of the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, and that's going to be taken from you at the door. Then after the, or then at this time, you're now invited to, to rise, and we're going to sing in closing from hymn 55, the verses 1, 2, and 3. As you go on your way, know that the grace, that the face of the Lord shines upon you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.